HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm in Vermont, a producer of award-winning handmade cheese from goat and cow milk. For more information, visit ConsiderBardwellFarm.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, I'm Kathy Array, the host of Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. This summer, I'm taking a little break and having co-host Talia Ralph and Brianna Kurtz host several episodes. I'll see you back in the fall. Oh, I like the way you do. Act one, Dead Ringer. We start today with a story of physical resemblance, not of a person, but of a food. A quick uh, warning that if you're squeamish or averse to graphic images of food, there's going to be some of that in this report. Here's Ben Calhoun. I first heard about this whole thing in an email. It came from a listener. A woman hello, named- hello, and welcome to another episode of Eat Your Words. I'm your host, Talia Ralph, and that clip you just heard, you have probably realized, was not me. <laughs> it was Ira Glass, the host of NPR's This American Life, introducing a piece by producer Ben Calhoun. Um, who we're lucky enough to have here in the Heritage Radio studios with us today. Ben is a longtime public radio reporter who has contributed to Radiolab, NPR, BBC, Marketplace, and covered politics for WEBZ Chicago's news desk for eight years. His story, Dead Ringer, which Ira was just introducing in that clip, um, is an investigative tour de force about how hog rectum was being passed off as calamari. Um, He actually won a 2014 James Beard Award for Best Radio Show, Audio Webcast. So, Ben, thank you for being here to talk pig bung and food journalism (laughs) with us today. Um, So this story, um, Dead Ringer, um, came to you as a tip from a listener, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure you get a lot of those. And I'm wondering how you felt when this came across your desk. Uh, What was your first impression? And and what did you think when you got that email? It it actually came to a different producer. And uh, she just told, like, she just laid out the premise. Like, she was, like, just the initial anecdote of there's a guy who says he knows a someone who works in a hog processing plant, and there was a box that he said was artificial calamari, and he's like, what's artificial calamari? And the guy was like, well, hog bung. And she, she was like, and, you know, if you just 
if you picture the ring, <laughs> and <laughs> it was like everybody was sold. Everybody was just sold on the idea of like, it, like that's just it's just funny. It's just and and uh, so we we sort of decided right away somebody's got to look into it. Like somebody should go and find out whether that's actually happening. And she was originally going to do it. Sarah Koenig, um, one of the other producers on the show. Um, but she ended up tied up with other things. And somebody said, Oh, do you want to do the, the, the hog rectum thing? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I absolutely do like give that story. To me. <laughs> right. I mean, and was this your first food? reporting effort i mean this is the first (laughs) the first and a a good one um and i always wonder i i did a story um last summer actually that was about naked photos being sent online and i talked to a lot of very smart and accomplished people but i always had a hard time saying the words like dick pics basically (laughs) and so i'm wondering (laughs) what it was like for you doing these interviews and asking these questions, I mean, it's a really serious story about uh-huh. sort of food fraud and, and how we know or don't know where our food comes from. What was it like for you talking about it? Because it is sort of a silly and graphic topic. Yeah, it's it's weird because I, I feel like the the actual crux of it is super serious. It's like whether people are, are, are eating things that they don't think are those things and there ends up being a whole line of of reporting about seafood fraud and how often the fish you order is not the fish that you get. But, uh, but, but like it was weird because the emotion that laid on top of that is just, it's just so playful. And it's such a, it's a, such a funny idea that I, I, I think that part of what ended up being a lot of my energy in, in making the piece was just figuring out how to balance those two things, how to take the things seriously that needed to be taken seriously, but also dealing with the, just like food is so emotional. And in this particular case, it creates a fun little, you know, storyline about, you know, the role that, that pork bung is playing. So. For sure. Yes, the absurdity, but also the seriousness. You, you cite in the story that Oceana um, study about fish mislabeling, which is... You know, oh, yeah. Thank goodness for them. They were just like, <laughs> I was like, I have to find out how much of this is happening. I was like, oh, somebody did it. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Good, good work, Oceana. But also, I mean, of course, there was the horse meat scandal in Europe. Mm. And we, we do have these things throughout the food world of stuff not being what people say it was over the course of your reporting, I mean, were you shocked to find out how often this is happening as someone who doesn't cover this beat? And did you find any, like in your reporting, any other instances of this going on? What was your reaction to the, the phenomenon? No, I mean, I didn't go, I didn't go super far down that rabbit hole. Like once I knew that like seafood fraud was possible and was prevalent, I was sort of like, okay, you know, that creates an, enough of a premise, at least in the context of, of, of what, of what I'm doing. So, yeah, no, it just, like, it sort of stopped, right? Maybe that's irresponsible, but I was just, like... <laughs> You're like, this is enough. Yeah, I was like, I was like, it happens. Good enough. That was, yeah. For sure. Um, and I'm wondering what your reporting process was like in the piece. I mean, the arc is interesting, and we'll definitely get into that, but um, it seems like you hit a lot of dead ends. You had a lot of people who weren't necessarily confirming it for you but weren't ruling it out either Um, oh my gosh yes was that frustrating and how did you sort of get around it what was the you know it was I mean that's what I like I feel like as a reporter I just like I like finding all of the all of the paths to go down and then chasing them down as far as they possibly as far as they possibly go um and in the end I felt like it it 
it's what like that's what turned like at some point I was actually like I was getting ready in the morning I was like brushing my teeth and I was like why am I so invested in the idea that this is possible and and I realized that through the course of all these dead ends like this food entity was taking on this super emotional character for me in sort of like the the scape of this narrative and in looking into this idea um and that I was that I wanted it to be true. Like I wanted this to be possible because I felt uh, like in the same way that I think other kinds of foods are sort of like, like certain kinds of foods are like, uh, can be, can have like emotional qualities. Like they're kind of like bullies or they're like, you know, comforting presences. Like I really felt like pork rectum in this situation was like an underdog it was like it was like ducky in 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 a john hughes in the john hughes movie where you're just like you're just like oh go ducky go (laughs) (laughs) you equated at one point of the beast to like pretty woman and goodwill hunting like all of these really classic underdog stories Um, yeah it was my hero it became my hero (laughs) i was like i was like that is the hero of my story how did that come about i mean that to me i don't know that i would have had that reaction reporting that story what what was the shift for you or or why did it take on this emotional quality that you're talking about of you were rooting for it? Because really if it was true, it's, it means a lot of really, I think it was just like, just like stewing in the reporting that you're talking about for long enough and hitting all the dead ends and realizing, I mean, the ultimate reality is that, you know, it could be happening because we taste tested it and you can't, I mean, you can't tell the difference. Um, but if it's happening, it's probably happening elsewhere. Like, and I've seen actually seen subsequently instances of in in Chinese food of things being you know on a menu as pork intestines, but then in parentheses or as being squid, but then in in parentheses being pork intestines. Um, so I'm like I'm like oh it could be happening somewhere, but that was really like it ended up because there was so much. My ultimate answer is in the U.S., like, my answer is probably not. It's indefinite, though. Like, you could do it. Like, it was sort of this squishy thing, but I was still having this really strong emotion of, I sort of hope that this is true for for the character of Hog Rectum. <laughs> so the inanimate food object took on this sort of, yeah, heroic quality. And you even you play it up in the story, which is really fun as a listener, you know, with the music and these comparisons you're making. Um, I'm wondering if you have any issue with food mislabeling, like if on some level food mislabeling makes you uncomfortable or in this instance, maybe it doesn't, but thinking about others, it does. Like, did you have an opinion shift or develop in terms of the, the actual issue at at hand? Yeah. I mean, I, I have like, I definitely have, it's interesting because there was a, there was a question about how to handle that in the writing of the story. And I think that people end up walking away in a lot of cases. I realize this from the response, with the wrong idea like they they're like terrified by this idea and and i I, i'm terrified for certain people like like i like i I think that if if people have objections to eating you know eating pork or if they have objections to just the idea of of eating hog bung like i don't think it's i think it's unethical for people to be duped into thinking that something else that it's something else and then and then eating it for 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 because people are being misleading um but but it but it, there became a question of just like you know that that being established 
like what's this like what's this what's the storyline of this and um i thought that we underscored the first part of that enough in the story but you know i definitely in retrospect i wonder i wonder if we did i wonder if we did i could see an argument that we did and you know another argument that we didn't make it clear enough clear enough what like the underlying serious yeah just the severity of it yeah right um what was the reaction i mean when it came out what was the it bulk was of what so you heard? divided it was so divided i've never done a story that was so divisive like like uh i mean even within i've got friends who are at npr and dc and they're like within the building there are people who are just like best story ever done like they're just like like they're like <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> in this That's way that cool. yeah I've, I've, i'm just like oh my gosh like and then there are other people who are like, that is the hugest waste of time that has ever taken up like minutes on public radio. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of audience, I mean, did you see people come down more on one side or, or hung up on a certain aspect of it than others? Like, what was the listener reaction? The listener reaction was uh, kind of along the same lines. Like, some people found it to be really frivolous and, you know, just... uh insubstantial i can see i can see where somebody would would make that argument but i feel like i don't know i feel like those people aren't interested in fun right (laughs) yeah and um i mean you obviously you won a james beard award for this story but this was your first food reporting story your background is more in politics and obviously Uh this american life which is not predominantly a food show um what was your reaction was the experience of sort of being included with a lot of people who's primary focus is oh oh my gosh shock and uh and like like deep a deep sense of honor like i (laughs) i was um and and it's funny within the office um you know there's sort of like award season and everybody's sending out their stuff and blah 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 and our office manager was like I know we're like applying for like the Peabody and like the, you know, the DuPonts and stuff like that. She's like, but this is the one that I want. This is the one. (laughs) And I think it's because, you know, I mean, people like we're an office of people that loves that, that love food. So, so it became, you know, like this rare shot for somebody from our show to actually like keep company with the folks who, you know, made up that, that, that award ceremony. So that was really, it was, yeah. It was so fun. It was so fun. <laughs> they so know how to party better than public radio. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know. I mean, that's how we met at a, a great James Beard party. And they're the food. Yeah. I mean, you got to have great food at a, a food award party, right? So yeah. we will take that compliment. The food world, will, we're, we're glad that we can throw a good Yeah, oh my gosh. People are just like handing out like delicious drinks and like food food and like it wasn't like oh there's this hired caterer who's like you know got a few things you can go over there and get some of that it was it was just like oh oh my gosh like this is delicious and this is also delicious and that is delicious and that is delicious yes (laughs) (laughs) i had nothing to do with this but i'll i'll take it on behalf of of the party of the greater community (laughs) james beard awards we'll pass that message along um we're gonna take a break in just a second but sort of going off this um interesting question of food journalism and you know I don't know that I would even call this American life or public radio mainstream journalism but did you see in your sort of either your reporting or post you know being in the award ceremony and meeting other food journalists I mean do you see differences there between food journalism and maybe political journalism or public radio like more news-oriented journalism because I 
Um, sometimes food gets relegated in a certain column. You know, you see it in lifestyle or you mm-hmm. see it in business. It doesn't have, have its own place. And um, I'm wondering sort of like what your experience was being reporting a food story, not as a food reporter and, and where you see that sort of um, yeah. relationship. I mean, I think what you're saying is very, very true, but I feel like it's changing and it's changing for good reason and kind of moving in the right direction. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, food in a lot of ways is, is, is especially in American culture, something that very often is treated in, in I think, a pretty thoughtless way. Um, but I think in popular culture, like, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, the, the fact that we're sitting in the studio where, like, <laughs> people just talk about food is, it, I feel like there's a recognition of you know, the importance of food, like how we nourish ourselves, what it means about for our for our communities and our culture, the politics of it, the economics of it, like just like all of these rich dimensions where, you know, the tensions that are at the heart of that are going to end up being the same sort of, you know, important questions that people who are reporting on a city council or like, you know, the, you know, any sort of event, like really newsy event, it, it, the same it ties into the same big stakes, I think. Um, and that's also just fun. It's, like it's, it's, it's also just really fun. Yeah, I mean, that's why we all do it. It is, it is an interesting interplay. I think you get that interplay in a lot of stories, and especially this American Life story is sort of that, that pull between the serious and playful or sort of something not necessarily being what you expect. And it was very clear in your story. We're going to take a super quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're talking to this American Life producer and James Beard Award winner, Ben Calhoun, here on Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. You're listening to Boy Crazy by Cookies on Heritage Radio Network. She's dancing by herself in a mother's summer dress. Oh, kid, she doesn't need your help. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm. Spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington County, New York, 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont founded in 1864 by Consider Stebbins Bardwell himself. Rotational grazing on pesticide-free and fertilizer-free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese. All of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves. Consider Barwell Farm is also a big supporter of Heritage Foods USA's No Goat Left Behind program. No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals. For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. 
Welcome back. I'm your host, Talia Ralph, and you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we are lucky enough to have Ben Calhoun in the studio with us talking about his story, Dead Ringer, um, about hog bunk being used as imitation calamari. Thanks for being here, Ben. My pleasure. So I know that you you do a taste test over the course of your story to sort of determine the uh-huh. the validity of this switch. Uh-huh. Um, and I know that one of your taste testers who grew up Italian-American eating a lot of calamari was super horrified and, and sort of this definitely, I would assume, changed his mind. Have you changed your eating habits at all or sort of thought more about, you know, when you're sitting down to a meal, what it might actually be? Um, no. <laughs> Are you still eating calamari? <laughs> well, actually, I, I mean, this is something that we didn't put in the story, but like I've eaten my my share of calamari. Like I I, I know calamari, but uh, like before I did this story, um, I developed a, a shellfish allergy, and so I can't I can't eat calamari anymore. So I didn't like I couldn't. I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat the calamari that was on the plate. Like I, I had to only eat the hog bung, um, which I feel bad about. I, I <laughs> yeah. feel bad about saying, but like, yeah, I mean, it was like one of the reasons that we needed the taste test and we needed the taste test really because the reporting got to, you know, as you were saying, sort of an unsatisfying end of like, uh, it could be happening. Probably not here. Maybe not here. Might be happening here. Could be happening here, but probably not. Maybe somewhere else. Like it was just sort of this like wishy washy place. So it was just like we needed a verdict, and it was, it was like a way of getting to, could this happen? Like in a really tangible way on the radio. Um, so we set up the 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 taste test, and I needed the other people on the staff who could eat both both things, and and uh, you know, I mean, if I eat calamari, I'm up all night, just like booting so it's not yeah <laughs> so you were like the mad scientist and you subjected your fellow radio yeah journalists i did eat the bung you... though i ate the bung okay. uh, yeah yeah it was okay. and it was yeah it was it was it tasted like i remember calamari tasting <laughs> so you you could in theory continue to enjoy i could calamari like yeah. substitute calamari really? yeah i could yeah so for people like you it's actually sort of a, a boon in a way right <laughs> yeah you really got to go out of your way to want to make that though it's right. like <laughs> and um lauren your sister who's actually a chef here at roberta's pizza she helped you prepare it in the story which was probably nice to have a, a chef sibling on hand but oh my um, gosh yeah she's like my secret weapon is <laughs> <laughs> that a bonding experience for you guys do you cook together often i mean Oh yeah, we cook together a lot. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so fun. Like she, I mean, we've always cooked together as a family. We used to cook with our mom, um, but like especially now, like we both live uh, here in New York, and and uh, like cooking meals with her, it's just like having like just like a ninja like two feet away. Where if something is going wrong, she's like, oh no no, let me fix that for you. You just have to and like <laughs> before you know it, everything is going fine again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but but it, it, in terms of the story, uh, like knowing how to like go about the taste test in a way that would create like a like a realistic parallel, and you know, like if you were going to do it, thinking about the things you'd have to do with the bung that would make it resemble calamari. Like she had very specific thoughts right away about how to go about it. Right. So, yeah. Can you get into sort of the the taste test portion of the story? It's uh-huh. one of my favorites. I think it's just, I mean, it sounds great and it's very suspenseful to listen to. I mean, you're in the kitchen with them. You're talking to sort of your 
tasters who are anticipating trying to figure out what's what. It's like a very tense moment. But can you talk a little bit about the mechanics of like where you did it? What were some of the things she did to sort of equate these two different substances? Like what were some of the things that jumped out? Yeah, I mean, the... there was a little bit of um, strategic butchery of the of the bung um, in that, like, if you ever see a, a picture of one, like, they are very substantial, like, sort of at the bottom end, and then they, like, taper off, and there was, like, a region kind of in the middle where you get to, like, the, <laughs> the width and <laughs> just, like, the size that you would want if you were, like, oh, yeah, calamari. that looks like a calamari ring. Um, but then... Uh, yeah, we were worried about that because once you once you floured them in the way that you would with calamari, like squid always sort of retains that sort of springy sort of, you know, natural, nice round O. Mm-hmm. But the, the bung, once you floured it, it just like took on this like, like tangled, it looks like a like a like a ball of yarn. And then it was amazing that the heat of the fryer, it was just like, like if, if it if it made a sound. It would have been the sound on cartoons when something goes boing. It's like they just like snapped into these rings. It was like it was magical, and I was like, oh, oh, I just like it. It might work. Like this, this is possible. It, it was like I, I like if Bung was my Rocky, like it, it was. He was on the ropes at that moment. Like he was about <laughs> to go down, and then it was just like he just like came out swinging. <laughs> right. And was that the moment? Like reporting wise for you, I mean, probably something you never thought you would do in your journalism career is like be in a kitchen watching hog bung. Yeah, no, fried, I, I but... always imagined that that day would say no. Yeah, no. <laughs> was that the moment where you were like, "Wow, this this story is coming together"? Or was there were there moments before that when you saw that snap into place? Did it snap the story in a place for you? I think there were a couple. There were a couple moments. That was definitely one where I was like, like we have passed into the threshold of victory. Um, <laughs> Uh, like earlier, I felt like just getting at the emotions of the whole possibility of it, like, and, and realizing that I had a real thought and emotion about, about what might be happening. Like that was another point where it was just sort of like, Oh, I think I've got a thing to say here. Like, I think I've got a thing to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, so there were a few different, like, yeah. Right. And, and one of those things must've been the fact that hog rectum is half the price of squid, right? I mean, Oh Yeah purely from an economic perspective and and generally in these sort of like food substitutions things not being what we think they are economics has has a a hefty role to play i mean do you think that that is indicative of a a bigger issue in our food system like is food too cheap or or priced strangely i mean it's kind of insane that oh for sure yeah (laughs) i mean i think that the prices are really deceptive and 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 um i think that like pricing in American food culture ends up obscuring so many other things that are happening with those with those foods. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and in terms of this story in particular, the fact that it ended up feeling like it wasn't like a smoking gun, but it was like a, a fingerprint. Like you'd found a fingerprint where you you were you you felt like oh like yeah there's some suspicions here. Um, and, and a dynamic that in any number of things that people would buy, you wouldn't even like, I don't feel like people do that calculus a lot of like, what does it mean that this is cheaper or that that is more expensive? And what are all the implications across the system that's providing this thing to me? For sure. And I mean, was that part of your goal of the story? I mean, did you go into the story with a goal or was it just like, wow, this is kind of crazy and 
amusing and, and you get that email and yeah, your, your spidey senses are tingling. You want to figure it out. But did you go into the story with a goal or several goals in mind of things you wanted to illuminate or? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the reasons I liked it so much was it, it appealed to um, different parts of my personality as like a journalist and as like a person who likes to make radio. Um, I definitely bring, I think, like my instincts as a reporter to any story. And this one was exactly the same in that way. Um, but also, I mean, it's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the idea. I still like, I just, I love the idea of it. Like, it feels like if it wasn't, if, if you didn't have to use the word rectum, it could be a children's book. (laughs) (laughs) If only, only it was a different, different shaped thing. We could, yeah. Kids everywhere could be learning about food safety and mislabeling. Yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah. A <laughs> um, little bung that could. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> that, I like that. That has a certain ring to it. I don't know. Keep, keep it on the back burner. Yeah, right? right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about the reaction, both of the taste testers, sort of the larger audience of people that um, were listening to this. But do you have any advice, sort of stuff you learned over the course of reporting for people who are walking away from this sort of shocked and horrified and and you know did you come up with anything to say to people when they were asking you about this story in like that that camp of being like I can't believe this is happening this has serious uh implications for the way I eat oh yeah I mean I would tell people like if you eat calamari in the United States like this like I cannot guarantee anything um but like I would bet every you know everything that I own like I would I would bet like I, I have very little doubt that this is not like you are not eating hug rectum. Like I don't think that it's actually happening. I think that the effort that would have to be gone through in terms of kitchens and like it, it showed me that like what would like the mechanics of actually pulling this off wouldn't necessarily be worth it in any sort of like scalable way. And the the potential scandal of it coming out would just like demolish any, any restaurant or business or franchise. So like, I, I don't think that it's, it's happening. Um, and so I feel like that is the thing that if I, I like, maybe I should have underscored a little more for people because I think that they got, I think that the story pulled people into the emotions of everything that was going on. So they couldn't necessarily hear like, there's a very distinct line, like, I do not believe this is happening later in the story, but I, 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 I would hope that people would would take away, like, the understanding that probably not. But, like, like, eat your calamari with, with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I mean, part of it is um, there's an interesting question in there, too, of, like, what is acceptable to us as Americans or North Americans or certain populations to eat versus what um, is commonly eaten or understood and there's an interesting and sort of tense point in the story at which one of your sources accuses you of being racist because you're looking into it in terms of um, oh right yeah Chinese production and whether he was so mad yeah I mean what was that like for you 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 are half Chinese one uh, but aside you know aside from the point you, you raise in the story and I think it's a valid point that we should be able to ask these questions you know and look at cultural differences without being um sort of slammed as as racist or ignorant and and yeah yeah i mean i think that there's like a more honest conversation to have than the one that he was having and he was bringing a lot of 
like assumptions and a huge like paradigm to to his his feeling that I was being uh, discriminatory. Like I feel like there's just like a frank conversation people can have about uh, who eats what, and and uh, I mean the the fact of the matter is that that in the U.S. people are already eating bung. Like they just don't people don't think consciously enough about you know the logistics of the food that they actually eat. Like if they had sausage, they're eating intestines and like they're eating bung. If they're eating summer sausage, they're eating beef like bung. Like there's like, like all of these things, you know, that we bring these sort of immediate emotional responses to oftentimes in in terms of like their place in the actual food, food world isn't quite what people assume that it is. But yeah, that was, that was, that was an entertaining moment when he, (laughs) He was he was like a, a like this older white guy and he was like he was like you are being racist against Asians I will tell you you are racist like this is racist your story like, is um, racist yeah. I was like, like I, I loved my mother like I, I like I eat a lot of awful like you know like chi- and I eat a lot of Chinese food that like I, I've I've been on the end of the thing that you're talking about and like I don't I'm not like I don't think I'm perpetrating that right. thing <laughs> <laughs> i think we were all the better for it that you sort of followed the thread of this story are you do you have your ear to the ground more in terms of other food stories or was this the, the first and last oh you know, food um, piece that we'll see from you or i don't this i don't work in life there aren't any on the roster i mean i ever did a story about foie gras a while ago um with the people from uh stonehill blue hill farms blue hill, blue hill farms <laughs> yeah um but it's not like, but I would, that's not to say that I wouldn't, like, I would love to. I mean, if, if your reporting can involve eating and researching food, I feel like pff, bonus. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for unpacking this food reporting with us, Ben. Thanks um, for having me on. Of that was course. fun. This has been, um, another amazing episode of eat your words. Um, it's actually my last as co-host of the show. My lovely counterpart, Brianna Kurtz will join us next week and through the end of the summer, bringing you more great words about food. And then we'll have Kathy Irway back with us in the fall. Um, it's been a privilege and a pleasure sitting in the host chair this summer at heritage radio. So thank you so much to the listeners for tuning in to this episode. And always our sponsors, our talented engineer, Jack Inslee. And of course this American life's Ben Calhoun, an amazing final guest. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, Ben's story appears on this American life's doppelganger episode available online and through iTunes. Um, and it's well worth a listen. So we'll see you guys all soon. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening Bye.